Hey everyone, on this episode of Hooked on Surf Fishing, we sit down and talk to Bill Jacob, longtime Montauk surfcaster, pro staff member for Van Stall Fishing Reels, and he's the current president of the Montauk Surfcasters Association. So after a quick break, we'll be back to sit down with Bill Jacob. Looking to improve your surf fishing skills or book a guided trip? Head over to BerniBass.com and get started today. We offer lessons and trips for all skill levels along the pristine beaches of Long Island, New York, including the mecca of surf fishing, Montauk. Also check us out on social media on Instagram at Bernie underscore Bass and on Facebook at Bernie Bass Surf Casting Services. See you on the beach. Hey, Bill, first and foremost, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Um, anytime, just reach out. Let's shoot the breeze. Sounds good. Uh, listen, I know you're very busy, so if you don't mind, I do want to start with uh, just tell our listeners how you got involved in fishing in general and how you involved into such an avid surf fisherman. Well, I guess it started out when I was a little kid with a neighbor. Um, grandparents taking him fishing, and they invited me one day, and that was freshwater, and then it expanded from there to when I moved up to Wading River and there was beaches all around us. My parents would drop me off at, you know, earliest I could get them in the morning and come back and pick me up when the sun was setting. And the times were different back then that you could just leave the kid off on the beach and come back uh, some 12 hours later and pick him up, take him home. So I started out freshwater and then progressed into saltwater in the uh, Wading River area. I totally hear you. You know, you had to be home for dinner, right? That was, that was the way we grew up. Um, so what attracts you more to the surf than the boat fishing? The, the challenge, um, I feel part, being a part of the water, um, when I'm on the surf, and I guess maybe in a past life, maybe I was a seal, who knows? Um, <laughs> but just being on the, the beach, whether it's the North Shore, the South Shore, out on a rock, on a sand beach, it's just uh, a relaxing, natural feeling to me. Uh, I love, in the wetsuit, I, I got come alive when I'm in the water is the best way to describe it. It just invigorates me. Listen, I agree. I love the wetsuiting as well. And I, and I like the challenge of the surf. I always said, I'm not into hunting, but I always said if I was a hunter, I would um, probably do the bow and arrow over the gun because of the challenge end of it. Yeah. You know, I, I've tried fly rod, um, fishing, light tackle, you know, going for big fish. I still get a kick out of catching the little fish. Um, but there's always that natural hunter's instinct that you're talking about, about pursuing the, the larger of the fish. Uh, it's more of a challenge. So I do acclimate my fishing towards that end. Absolutely. I totally agree. Now, let's just talk about this Montauk Surfcasters Association. Um, I know you've been um, a member for uh, 30 years. In the last uh, two years, you've uh, been the president. For people that don't know what the purpose of the Montauk Surfcasters Association is, could you uh, fill them in? Well, I, I got involved years back, really came up and asked me why I wasn't a member, and honestly, I didn't have a good reason why I wasn't a member. Uh, I just wasn't aware of, of what had happened and why they formed Montauk Surfcast Association, which was to keep access at the place I, you know, I love now, Montauk, and they were coming under the gun to not be allowed to fish and stay like we have. Um, I'll tell you, it's funny. It seems like beach access every year seems to be uh, getting worse and worse here on the island. 
And for me, as someone, you know, who travels fishing and, and you do as well, it's like when you go to other states, it seems like they embrace their fishermen. They have parking lots set up specifically for fishermen and things like that. And it really is disappointing that our own state doesn't, you know, honor that. No, in most communities, they don't want us to fish. Um, they'd rather not have us there, which is you know, why I got involved in, in joining MSA. And when Willie had passed away um, two years ago, I stepped up and took the reins and said, I'm not going to let this disappear. I'm not going to let it progress the way some other people wanted it to go. Um, and, and it's for the fishermen. It's, it's access for the fishermen. Um, everywhere else, like you say, you go, you're welcome um, to fish. They invite you. Um, you know, whether it's down in Florida, where there's tons of places to go dedicated for fishermen, or up on the, up north where they welcome fishing. Um, New York, Metropolitan, Long Island area, the last thing they want is you us fishing. And it, it's a challenge, whether it's, um, you know, just a, a back street parking that they want to close off, or a whole state park that they don't want you because of some other user group doesn't like people fishing. But, yeah, we're not uh, the most acclimated society to uh, allow fishing here. And it really is amazing because we're the kind of people that are going to protect our beaches. We're going to clean up our trash and do the things and not leave, you know, the dead end street looking looking a mess for the most part. And that kind of disappointing as well. You know, we're the kind of guys you want to have around those areas. Exactly. That's, and that's what I, I've been trying to convince the uh, both the state and the county is to ha like having your an extra set of eyes and ears um, to help out on the beach. Um, you know, with reducing trash or reducing uh, vandalism, um, it's better to have somebody that cares about the place than somebody that doesn't care, which is obviously going to damage or, you know, not respect the place. And it's funny because actually I fish a couple uh, private spots on the East End and, you know, some of the homeowners kind of actually like you hanging around. And I just feel it's funny that some of the people in the county and stuff don't want you to, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a different view. I have, you know, I have, people that I know that own property on the beach and they welcome people to be down on their beach where you have the person next door that thinks that they bought the house and that they should own the beach and you shouldn't be anywhere near there. So that's two, you know, different positions that we run into when we're fishing. It's disappointing because there is enough room for everybody and, you know, and uh, I do really love this sport and wish we did have more access and thank you for, you know, what you do with the MSA on a daily basis um, to, uh, promote that and get that extra access that we need. Now, let me ask you a question. I always feel the youth of today doesn't get enough outdoor time as we did as kids. And I really think it's important to get the kids of today involved in fishing and get them off some of that electronic stuff. Do you guys offer a youth membership? Yeah, we have a youth membership that we try and drive through some of the uh, high school um, fishing clubs. Perfect. We're just in the neighborhood. We get involved in uh, sponsoring snapper tournaments uh, with the town of Riverhead. We have one, the town of Brookhaven, and we're looking to get one up west um, and up on the North Shore West uh, for next year. It's all about getting kids, like you said, away from the computer, off the couch, get them outdoors, let them learn about nature. Uh, we had a snapper tournament last year in Riverhead where we had somebody come out from the city with their family, never fished before. It was his first snapper tournament. Uh, he fished all day long. I couldn't believe the determination that the, the young kid had. And at the end of the day, he finally caught a snapper. And he came up and told us at the measuring station, this was the best day of his life. And that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Getting kids 
the experience so that they can use it for the rest of their lives. Okay, jumping into um, some fishing things now. Uh, let's talk Montauk a little bit because I know our listeners definitely want to hear about that. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we always know the rule of thumb, you know, on the uh, on the south side, you know, the incoming tide on the on the uh, on the north side, the outgoing tide is a good rule of thumb. Like I said, you know, what's some of the best tides you like to fish when you're fishing in Montauk and some of your favorite lures you like to use? Well, the best times I like, um, I like to fish alone with a few people around. So I'll try and pick optimum tides at the latest time of night in the darkest weather and in the lousiest weather, not necessarily windy and rainy, but rain, fog, pitch black. Um, that's where I like to concentrate my fishing on certain tides. And like you said, it's pretty much outgoing north side, incoming south side. And there's, you can break the rules on some of that stuff if you know the area well enough. And I've been fishing about what come up, I guess, 45 something years. So I pretty much got a pretty good handle on where to go and when. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. You want to avoid the crowds, you got to fish at night. And if you want to consistently catch big fish, you got to fish at night as well. Yeah. And as far as um, what I'd like to use, uh, each spot, depending on the tide, um, will determine what I'm, what I'm throwing in conditions also. But my favorite is uh, a daughter um, because we have a, a running tide or currents all the time on the north side or the south side when you fish it, except on the slack tides. Of course, but uh, needlefish, I'm a super strike go-to guy. Um, that's my favorite lure. I first thing on my bag is a uh, super strike darter, and then I'll go to a needlefish and I'll fish the top, which is the needlefish. I'm sorry, the needlefish is the darter, and then I'll progress down in depth to the uh, needlefish. There's a lot of other plugs in between that that I'll try on heavy heave. Of course, it's the bucktail, and then uh, I like metal lips on the south side. Uh, give me a flat night with little wave action and a, you know, a screaming tide on a dark night. And I love to use a big metal lip in the surf. Um, I have a great results with it. And I love the uh, anticipation of um, a fish coming in and usually they explode 20 feet away from where you're standing on a rock. And it really is an awesome feeling. Um, thanks for that information for our, for our listeners. Um, let me ask you another question. And, you know, social media is always, you know, in the forefront every single day. You know, somebody's saying something on social media, doing something wrong on social media. Let me ask you a question. What has been the positive and negative impact of social media on the surf fishing community, you think? Well, from looking at it from Montauk Surfcast, it's, it's a positive because that's how we recruit um, members and, um, you know, get our message out. Um, I'm a fisherman's note. Um, it tends to burn some spots or have people coming out with some false information because they're always um, trying to come lately after get it on the internet. Uh, the bite's either over or it was the day before. So it, it's got impact where it sends people places that not necessarily know how to fish it or show up on time when the bite was on and off. Um, so you'll get times where people will concentrate on an area when the fishing's gone and not fish it the right way and miss out on some opportunities of fishing when there's quote no bite on the internet i i totally hear that and it's funny because i've always said you know the positive of social media is you can get information out there quickly like you said with the recruiting process but the negative part of the situation is the information comes out quickly 
<laughs> with other things when it comes to the fishing and the spots and stuff like that. Um, so I have some questions from our listeners uh, specifically here, um, and I'd like you to answer them if you don't mind. Sure. Okay. What? What? Um. Uh, first question is: He states he's been fishing a while and concentrating on color, and he doesn't really think color matter matters. It's how he works the plug. He thinks. Do you agree or disagree, and why? I agree. I don't use the term color. I call call it shade, and I try to uh, strike bass don't see in the dark, nor does most. Um, animals out there, even if you look at an owl, they see the world in black and white, um, which means we're looking at grays, silvers, uh, tones. Uh, and then I'll switch my plugs off depending on the ambient light. If it's a dark night, I'm going to use a dark plug. If it's a bright night, I tend to use a, a lighter plug because that's what the bait would illuminate to um, in the light that's available out there. Um, so yeah, it, it's action. If you're working the plug wrong, um, that could hinder you, you know, hinder or help you fishing. And, and what is the correct speed? That's another uh, phenomena that we all have to try different speeds, different approaches. Um, and then knowing the area and how the fish responds to stuff is key also. But I don't believe um, color really that much, um, just tone in a natural way. Yeah, I think color does matter at times, but I totally agree with you. I mean, I think it's it's more in the way you work it as well. I mean, we're trying to take something that's plastic or wood and just trying to make it look authentic to a fish. You know, we're trying to convince them that's food. Exactly. Exactly. All right, moving on. Um, do you feel you have more success with topwater lures in the back bays or up front in the ocean? Well, it, in the back bays, mostly I, I've used surface lures, but... I've had tremendous results in up front, like on the north side or even on the south side with uh, pencil poppers. Um, they're my go-to. I don't like any of the other um, poppers that are out there on the market. Don't think that they really attract the fish as well as a pencil popper. And the biggest thing I see with using uh, poppers is they reel too fast. They're too excited. Um, they see fish feeding, and they'll turn the handle three times as fast as they normally would Whereas like a pencil popper requires you to do little in the way of speed and a lot of action with the rod tip. Um, I don't know if I could tell you a little short story about it. I was up off the cliff casting a pencil popper out into the surf. And it was a pretty good roll coming through. And there were a lot of guys down below. So I cast my pencil popper from the top of Camp Hero and got it out about you know, 100 feet off the edge of the beach. The problem being you can't reel because if you really are on, the, on the, the beach in no time flat. So what I did was just work the plug with the rod tip back and, you know, back and forth in, in a rhythmic motion as each wave came by. And I hooked up about a 15-pound bass. That's great. Where there were about 20 people below that weren't hooked up. Um, the real trick was uh, releasing the fish, which required running down the <laughs> cliff. So I think I did that twice. I've caught him that way uh, off the top. And this past year I did it while Bill Wetzel had a, uh, a charter right under my feet. And uh, I had somebody release it down there for me that went about 15 pounds and change. And oh, that's great. But the key was not to reel it fast. And I couldn't reel. I just left the plug in place on the surface and worked it when the surf condition was optimal to work the plug. So that's the biggest mistake I see is people getting over-exuberant and speeding 
and don't re- don't real fast. It's funny. I see that a lot of, of times with like my novice clients as well, not just with a popper, but just with uh, they don't allow the lure to really do what it was designed to do. You know, they kind of rush it. Yeah. Well, you know, there, then there's another surface lure that, uh, and I've, I've written an article in the Fisherman on it, which is the uh, spook that uh, we do just the opposite. Um, I fished with uh, Craig from Van Stoll, and we rip that plug so fast that nothing naturally in the Northeast swims that fast, but we've had great results. So there are extremes and there are different situations for each lure. Absolutely. And that's why you have to be out there as much as you can and get in the different conditions and, and see what the fish are doing and what the fish is attracted to. Right. It's, it's all a learning curve. Um, Absolutely. Each day is a learning curve as well as a learning curve over the course of years. Okay. Um, other than Montauk, without giving up specific spots, where are some of your favorite places to fish? Well, you know, Montauk is my is my first love. I grew up out in uh, Wading River, so I've got a great knowledge of the North Shore. As far as burning a spot, um, everybody knows, you know, the spots. There is no secret. I've got guys tell me that that's, so that's my secret rock. I said, yeah, you're like <laughs> the 50th guy in the last 50 years that fished that rock. But I, I really like the uh, the North Shore, um, Orient area, Wading River area. Um, that's great. And I love the back bays, uh, in like Merchants or Shinnecock Bay. I love a peaceful night when I can get away from everybody and just work a, a good piece of, of bottom, um, that provides a food source and water and cover all in, together. Uh, so it's very where I, where I go and what I like. And I like for different reasons. It's funny because, you know, that always happens to me. People always ask me, oh, you know, where do you normally fish? And I always say I could be anywhere on any given night. You know, it's what the conditions present to me. Yeah, it's it's what pops into your head after years of cultivating knowledge um, of when, where, what you're fishing for, and what the conditions, you know, say where to go. Absolutely. Yeah, that's how I look at it also. Um, here's another uh, question from one of our listeners. I have heard over the years that large stripers have been caught on all types of lures, but to consistently catch cow bass, your best bet is using natural bait or throwing live to rig deals. What is your thoughts on that? Well, I've had tremendous results on live bait, um, live eels, but I've had nights where I've outfished guys with artificials. And, you know, sometimes the biggest plug tends to sort out the biggest fish, but I've also had fish half the size of my plug hit the plug. So it's it's hit or miss, but you've got to approach what you're going for with the right bait and to present, you know, how to present it. But yet, hands down, a, a live eel probably, or any live bait um, will outfish a, a lure. But, you know, so many times before, I've seen a lure outfish um, a real bait. I just watched a video the other night of um, some freshwater where there was bait laying on the bottom as these pickles swam by it, and the guy threw down this unrealistic-looking jig, just hung there, moved there a couple times, and the fish ate that. So live bait is not always the way to go. It's interesting. I, I think you know sometimes you know you you know you get those instinctive strikes where that lure comes by them. And I think it just maybe you know if it comes by them two or three times, it like aggravates the fish where they just have to strike at it. Well, that's what I had said about the uh, 
that spook uh, lure where we reeled it so fast and that, that article that I wrote was Speed Kills. And we tried to rationalize why we had so many fish hitting at that high speed. And the best way we could sum it up on our head was it's like taking something and dragging it in front of a cat. You go real slow and you'll watch it go by a couple times, but you take the thing and rip it at the last second and the cat jumps on it. So uh, that's where I think the lure has the edge over the bait. I totally hear you. And then you get those nights where something totally uh, unrealistic happens and whatever, and then you you know, you know bang your head against the wall saying, I don't know why that happened. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one time out of my talk, I was playing with the – the fly rod. We first um, got into fly fishing back in the early '90s, um, and we were using a little tiny sandhill pad that was no more than two inches long. I ended up that that day taking a 30-pound fish on a two-inch long by not even three-sixteenths diameter sandhill imitation, and then we ran into the thing where I said color doesn't exist. Um, well, I went through every time I had a fish, they'd stop biting on a color. I switched to another color which I think was shades. Uh, it was progression of the sunset. So, um, you know, you never know. Absolutely. Anything can happen on any given night, but that's why you get out there because any night can result in that trophy fish for you too. Yeah. If you're not in it, you're not going to win it. Absolutely. All right. Um, this is a, uh, question about, uh, access. Um, somebody asked, uh, is there anything in the works to try to get some more parking for fishermen on the North shore of Suffolk County? Well, we're, we're in a constant evolution, um, trying to get more access on the uh, Brookhaven North Shore. Um, we've got a pretty good amount, um, but we need people to utilize those spaces that are provided. If we don't use them, they're going to switch them into um, other parking spots. So if you want to fish in the Brookhaven area, go out and get your night fishing permit. There are spots. But as far as up west further on the island, if there's a problem or a restriction on access, if we don't hear about it, we can't help you. Um, I'm just working on a project for freshwater fishing, which is the first for Montauk Surfcasters Association, where there was um, a spot provided by the state for launching boats, but the town put up no parking signs because of complaints from the neighborhood. So we were alerted to the spot. We're working on it. We'll have the access back um, through some legislation. Legislation. Sometimes you get tongue-tied. <laughs> anyway, we'll get that straightened out uh, and get access back. But if you uh, have access issues, shout out to MSA. That's what it's all about, getting that access. And what's the website address again? It's surfcasters.org, or you can find us on Facebook at Montauk Surfcasters. Um, we don't get a lot to uh, for dues. It's a whole 15 whopping dollars. And I always kid around, if you guys join and you meet me on the beach, I'll buy you beer, and now it's half price. <laughs> That's great. Um, now, quickly, and you're, you've been on the uh, pro staff for um, for Van Stoll Reels. How did you get involved in that? Well, I guess I was one of the first guys, or not one of the first guys, one of the beginning guys to use the Van Stoll back in the early 90s. Um, they came to me, obviously, through one of my old fishing buddies, uh, Craig Cantelmo. And they went to do a uh, photo op with the uh, the reel for wetsuit out of Montauk. And that's pretty much how I got involved um, doing their first ad. Um, when they came out of Hopedale, Mass., I did that with Craig. And then I've been on there since 2001 doing all the shows. So um, pretty long time. I think it was like 20 years or so uh, with Fanstall. It was great. We got into doing some uh, product development. I got the opportunity to try the product, use the product. 
and, and have some input, which is great to have input from the local area, including, you know, Craig's involvement being local into the product that um, has developed into one of the, the top. Uh, oh, absolutely. I can't live without them. Like we, I wouldn't be able to do what I do with, with, without having them. That's what I always say to people. Um, okay, so the last question um, comes in. It says, for the back bays, I use a small eight-foot rod to throw a half-ounce to one-and-a-half-ounce lures. There's the VR50 and the VR125. Which would you recommend for my setup? Well, for the back bays, I, I use a seven-foot with the – or seven-and-a-half-foot with the VR50. Um, it's a great combo. Um, th- that's pretty much for, for schoolies, but let's face facts, you can catch up to a 30, 40-pound fish on that outfit if you know how to work a fish. I've already had tarpon out of Florida, 40 pounds on the VR50 and that seven-and-a-half-foot rod. So size is not an issue, but I comfortably fish with a nine-foot and a VS150. Um, so you probably, best bet is to match don't under under spool or under reel your rod and don't overkill it so if you're going to use a seven foot rod don't put a 200 on it um 125 is would be a great option or 150 or 100 um or the vr50 like on a seven but once you start getting up to the nine foot range it would definitely be a, a 150 um 175 but i do have a heavy nine that i go up to a 200 vr series on so I, I kind of mix it up, and I have that uh, advantage of um, access to reels and products a little bit more than some of uh, the guys listening. No, that's that's great to know. Like I said, I'm sure he's going to be appreciative of that information. So in closing, um, I know you've had the privilege of fishing alongside some of the great Montauk fishermen over the years, such as Willie Young, Joe Bragan, Jack Yee, Steve Campo, et cetera. The list goes on and on. Um is there a funny or interesting story you'd like to share about any of these guys or a uh, personal experience with them? Well, I wrote about, you know, most of the, uh, the experiences um, with Willie and Jack. Um, there's some other great fishermen out there that fly under the, under the weather. Um, one guy that I fish a lot with, uh, I refer to him as uh, Eddie Eels or Eddie Blue Rags. I fished with Eddie going on 20-something years. Um, great wetsuiter. Um, I've learned to recognize people in the dark. And Eddie's, we were fishing one night, and we were supposed to hook up and go out to Weakfish Rock. He never showed. So I went to Weakfish Rock, and I was fishing with Gary Hall, uh, another old-school, legendary fisherman. So we're fishing at Weakfish Rock, and we're casting out into the dark. It was a calm night, and we heard a big uh, swirl sound in the water. And we yelled out, oh, Eddie, Eddie, is that you? We're on the rock. We'll pull you up. No answer. A couple minutes later, we heard it swirl again. (laughs) Eddie, we're over here. We're over here. And I flashed the light. No response. So I looked at Gary. I go, if that wasn't Eddie, that was a really big fish. (laughs) And Gary said to me, if that was a really big fish, it was like seven foot long. And we just looked at each other. And we were like terrified to get back in the water. And to this day, we never knew what that big swirl was. So whether it was a big bass at our feet that we didn't catch or it was a really big shark, that was probably one of the uh, memorable, um, funny, in my mind, uh, things of not knowing what's in the water, having swam through so many rocks. Um, and honestly, sometimes at night, it's better off not knowing. 
Exactly. You know, um, Bill, I really appreciate you coming on today. This has been great. Um, a wealth of information. And, you know, for our listeners out there, you know, please stop by the uh, website of the Montauk Surfcasters Association and, you know, their uh, social media pages uh, as well and, and sign up. Anything you want to add to close out, Bill? No, everything's great, but um, our motto is if uh, sign up for MSA today for access tomorrow and uh, tight lines, catch them up. All right. We'll see you on the beach. Thanks. Thank Have you. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed this edition of Hooked on Surf Fishing with Bernie Bass. See you next time. Wishing you many tight lines.